Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, Mr. Ethan Goblin Bombardment Sacks. I tuned into your arena open run today, and I saw you throw not some goblins, but some rats at the old opponent's face. Yeah, this was my first time getting to play, actually, maybe my second time getting to play Goblin Bombardment um, in this format, and all of my my days of Rakdos Mardu sacrifice have paid off then because I had to do some <laughs> some crazy math. I was doing, you know, stuff with Totentons and Goblin Bombardment, sacrificing creatures that turned into rats, and then Imidane's recruiter giving everything haste and plus one plus O just to like <laughs> narrowly navigate myself into a three-one. So we're recording here between draft one and draft two on day two. So hopefully we'll have uh, have some tweets out there by the time this episode goes out about us winning some cash because you, my friend, are 4-0. 4-0, baby. I had some nail biter matches rounds one and rounds two. And then you tuned in and were like, oh, your deck's nuts. These games are easy. You're drawing a billion cards. But I was running super hot when you were watching. I drafted a good deck. Uh, my yeah. draft was fairly straightforward. I started with the uh, Mosswood Dread Knight, the, the rare oh, green yeah. black adventure card. Um, into Candy Grapple, and it was largely on rails. Now, I stayed disciplined. I think that was the, the best thing I did. I did not get very distracted. I had opportunities to splash and didn't, and just drafted a very solid synergistic green-black food slash enchantments deck. You're kind of tipping your hand here, sir, because the, the subject of this episode <laughs> is... <laughs> is talking about splashing and all the mana fixing in this format and the reasons to do that. And I feel like, you know, as we've talked about over the past few weeks, you've been, you know, our roles have reversed. We've freaky Friday <laughs> ourselves a little bit and you're doing like four and five color nonsense. And I'm someone tagged me in discord the other day and was like, here's the Ethan Sachs special. And it was a Boros deck. And I felt shame. I would I felt, assume I, I was like, I don't know who I am. I need to go on a soul searching walk because this is so unlike me, but yeah, I mean that's again what I what I drafted for uh for day two draft one today was was Boros with a little bit of a black splash. So I don't know what to tell you. I mean, there's a very clear litmus test for the format. If you see Prophetic Prism and Collector's Vault in a pack, are you excited? There's two types of people. There's people who are excited when they see Prophetic Prism and Collector's Vault and give a little ooh. And there's people that don't see those cards and ship them on by. Yeah, I told you we had this discussion on stream a little bit. Collector's Vault for sure not, though I'm starting to come around to it. I don't know exactly what decks I wanted in, so I'm excited to talk to you about it. But uh, but I have felt the sort of panic from the other side of the battlefield when my opponents cast it. And I'm like, I gotta probably end this game pretty quick or things are gonna get out of control. Prophetic Prism, no. Prophetic Prism is the sign that a draft has gone poorly for me, I would say, oh. if I'm looking at, at including that in my deck. Wow. I actually think of the two, Prophetic Prism is a little stronger than Collector's Vaults. That's interesting. Well, we'll have to talk about it. So yeah, that's what we're, that's what we're doing today. We're talking about splashing. We're talking about light splashes, heavy splashes, playing three, four, five color decks, all that good stuff. You know, Ben tried to talk me out of doing this so early. This is usually a late, late in the life of a format style episode, you know, but I don't think that multicolored decks are that niche. I think it's actually a pretty big part of the format. You could say, like, you could lump, I don't know, is it two buckets? Is it like red decks slash or is it aggro decks? And then these like multicolor stew decks? Because, you know, even, I don't know, I feel like even a lot of the two color decks, unless they're streamlined aggro, and even sometimes if they are, they want to splash. I mean, I think that's a bit reductive for the format. I think it offers yeah. more than that if you want to go deep, because certainly like between those two spectrums, there's a lot of 
two color decks that are incentivized to splash off color adventures or a powerful rare or whatever. And, and there's, I think, a bunch of streamlined two color decks. I mean, some of them didn't get there, but enough of them did that. I, I think the format has quite a bit to offer, assuming you, again, play by the rules of engagement, which is not something we've talked about a ton. But mm. I think aggro's here and real. And I think probably the best thing to do in the format is beating down. I think you are giving up some win equity if you're not planning to beat down unless people start. And it has felt that way a little bit that folks are kind of waking up and trying to do that. And as the aggro decks get a little weaker, I think the opportunity for these splashy decks uh, is going to come to shine. I was talking to uh, our friend Stunlock the other day. He was messaging on Discord about our experience with the format. And he was asking me if it felt snowball-y. And I hadn't quite put it into that those terms yet i had you know I, I often just sort of do my own thing i don't i leave the the great generalizations or summaries to you ben um but i do think it's snowbally which is interesting in a format where bargain is so strong you would think that like you're taking some sort of a tempo loss or something to gain this advantage but honestly like the the more you get on board with those rectangles and then are dropping your high fay negotiator or your hamlet glutton on turn five with that you know cost reduction or the drain three like that sort of stuff, the more you do that, the more you're setting up those early pins and knocking them down on later turns. I think it really does feel snowbally. Well, and I think the snowballiest card is a cut in. That card is so oppressive. The, yeah. cur- the curve out of like Ginger Brute into Grand Ball yep. Celebrant or whatever it's called, the 2-2 two, two mm-hmm. that celebrates to get plus one, plus one and trample. You can tell I've cast that card a lot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so that into like turn three, you attack with it and then you're repping like making two rats at instant speed. So you can't really block it. And then maybe you yeah. don't even need to do that. And you play another three drop and then turn four. If you slam cut in like the, that curve out of like one, two, three cut in from red decks is just oppressive. And I am over it enough that continuing our role reversal, I, I think I'm on best of three the rest of the format. Ow. I, I did a couple best of three drafts. It was refreshing. I got to do my nonsense a little more freely. And that's how I'm having fun. So yeah, <laughs> I think that's what I'm going to do. I don't like the freaky Friday of it all is, is no good for me. All right. So we got, <laughs> got a little housekeeping to take care of and then a lot of show notes to get through. So first things first, let's chat about the Patreon page. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where you can go to give back to the show. If you so choose, you know, the show will always be free, of course. 340 episodes strong the show will always be free but you know get you some perks over there at the patreon page if you want to give back or if you just want to give back and get no perks that's also a possibility but everybody who gives back gets access to the lords of limited discord which is the place to be you know you really feel it on weekends like this you know just getting i was getting tagged (laughs) a lot yesterday and not to say that that's a bad thing but i also felt like you know i was doing my own run on day one i was trying to help people out then i had like errands to run and jonah's watch and like to hang out with friends at night and trying to check my phone to do some deck techs on there, but it's tough. But the Discord is an excellent place for these kinds of weekends. The arena opens. Yeah, absolutely. You get a lot of other things as you move up the reward tiers as well. You get access to our show notes, get access to the episode a day early, ad-free, and even get access to monthly coaching sessions with me or Ben. So if any or all of that sounds of interest to you, head on over to the Patreon page. And we also want to shout out our new patrons the first week that they join. So this week we're welcoming Ben, Karas, Josh, Duncan, Timothy, Michael, Simon, Chris, Evan, Brad, Joe, Andrew, Mayhem-esque, and Calvin. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Cannot say thank you enough. That's got to be Mayhem Esquire, right? I would think so, but I don't know. It was all together. I, I did my best guess. The Sir of Mayhem. That's right. 
Yeah, cannot say thank you enough. And I also received a boatload of tags yesterday. And I generally always respond to tags. And I was overwhelmed yesterday. We had marching band. I got home from marching band at 1.30 a.m. After doing Oof. that all day, did five arena open runs until 5 a.m. And I, like I'm tapped out. I can't check the notifications. So if you tagged me yesterday, I'm so sorry I didn't respond. And uh, we'll do better in the future when I have a little more time. Show is also brought to you by Cool Stuff Inc. CoolStuffInc.com. Best place to go on the internet for anything you need, magic related or otherwise. They've got cool stuff and they've got it in stock. And right now that's Wilds of Eldraine. This format is a blast. There's a lot going on. I think a lot to offer whether you enjoy the aggro or you enjoy trying to stabilize against good aggro decks. It's a very interesting uh, format playing on either side of the spectrum. And if you want to pick up a booster box to store in that closet to draft some friends down the road, you better use checkout code LOL, all caps, to get 5% off your order and anything else in the store, whether you're looking for magic, maybe some Lorcana. I hear, I hear that's popular. See that on the Twitters. All, all the kids are doing it. How do you do, fellow kids? How's the Lorcana <laughs> treating you? But whatever you're getting, coolstuffing.com. Do it. All right. So we've talked about mana bases many times before on the show. I think the first time we really dove into it, we have an episode building mana bases in limited episode 51. That was around uh, OG Dominaria, um, just after our first 50 takes episode, actually. Um, and we've touched on it before. And as, as Ben sort of tried to caution me or, or whatever, when we were, I was saying we should do this earlier rather than later, was that it's often a sort of later in the format sort of thing, like once we're doing nonsense. But as as Ben has said, you've sort of skipped ahead three or four weeks and you're doing this like four and five color stuff. I think everybody's realizing that that is a piece of the puzzle. And I think it's because like, first up, if we're going to check in on things, there's a ton of fixing in the format. So much fixing and so much good fixing. So if you look at lands, I think the best land in the format is Edgewallin. A card is yes. incredible. Not only is it going to get you a spell back later, but just the modality of needing it to be the color you need it to be, or potentially if you have your two colors already, naming an off-color adventure card or something like that, or just turning on splashes for powerful rares. It just gives you so much flexibility and power while letting you delay the decision in the draft. And I think one one of the reasons I've been ending up in these soupy decks so much, this three, four, five color nonsense, is that I have been trying to delay the decision. And I'm generally doing it by taking very powerful cards. And a lot of the cards that let you delay the decision also help you splash like Edgeball. It's a great early pick. You're always going to play it. It lets you avoid committing to something early and then is going to help you cast whatever cards you pick up later. Well, and it's one of the only ones as we'll see uh, the, the next land that I think is the best fixer is Evolving Wilds. But Evolving Wilds plus the two ways to fix in green um, in terms of you know finding a land or whatever, like actual factual clean fixing they all search up basics. And so what Edgewall In does is doesn't impact your mana base in any way, right? Because in the moment, it's flexible, whether you need to name one of your two base colors, because that's how your opening hand plays out, or whether it's enabling some sort of splash for you uh, down the road. So Evolving Wilds is there as well at Common. And then we've got Crystal Grotto, which is the scry land that lets you filter, right? It can tap for a colorless or filter. Where are you at with including Grotto in these kinds of decks you've been drafting? I am less high on it than I was at the start of the format. I was pretty high on it week one. I think I'm only playing Crystal Grotto now in two color decks that have off color adventures. I have to think about it every time. I want to say off color kicker, <laughs> off color adventures. I'm really proud of you. Really I know. Proud I, of you. I appreciate the support. <laughs> 
that have two different colored off color adventures. So like maybe I'm blue red and I have a white off color adventure and a black uh-huh. off color adventure. That's the situation where I'm running Crystal Grotto. And I think that's it. But it is very good and very important in that situation. So I like it. It is weirdly high on my top drafted commons list because I was super high on it before I came down and I'm sure it's still in my top five drafted commons should not be there. Um, but back to Evolving Wilds, one thing I would really want to hit home that I, you said, I just want to state it very clearly. The difference between Edgewall Inn and Evolving Wilds is there's there's no cost for Edgewall Inn, right? There, Correct. There, there is a cost to playing Evolving Wilds in an off-color basic. Or if you're green, playing a Brave the Wilds, it's the green sorcery. It lets you search up a land and bargain it to turn a land into a 3-3. There's a cost to those and putting an off-color basic in your mana base where sometimes you're going to draw that off-color basic and you're not going to be able to cast spells of your main color. That's why Edgewall Inn is so incredible. And also to be aware of when you're splashing that there, there are costs to putting those off-color basics in your deck. Yeah, and then we'll talk about that, I think, a little little later down the road. So those are the lands we have at common and uncommon. And then we also have the cycle of enemy-colored creature lands at rare. And these are all pretty great bangers and are kind of worth like splashing by themselves, you know? They're so good. Yeah, I, I've used the creature lands to splash themselves before or you pl- you play them as a tap source of your color and maybe you've got a prophetic prism or maybe you've got a treasure floating around or maybe, again, you're a two color deck with a creature land and then maybe I'd run a crystal grotto to try to mize turning on the creature land there. They've been very impressive. There's something too that happens. I don't know if we have this deck as an example a little later on, um, but there's something that happens when like you have a surplus of sources that, you know, I had, I think, a green-black deck where I was splashing for Goose Mother, the, the green-blue rare that's incredible, makes a bunch of food, it's a giant flyer. <laughs> that card's getting up my top-drafted commons. <laughs> I played with that card so much. Yeah, I saw you drafting on stream and you opened it. You're like, I have to have opened this more than anybody else <laughs> in this format. Um, but so once I was already splashing blue, oh, I, now I'm remembering, I was green-white. And so I was splashing the goose mother and then i also decided hey i'm gonna play sheree the four mana two three etb tap a thing and then you draw a card whenever you tap something and that was it i didn't have like other instances of tapping but because i had i was already splashing blue and had like five sources thanks to you know island evolving wilds brave the wilds return from the wilds all the wilds i was like well I, i have five sources so i can include this but but I wouldn't have splashed it on its own, you know, right, without, so you also the, without the about, incentive from the goose mother. Right. Right. So I would, it's like, sometimes you have the resources to splash, but don't need to, right. It's like, just because you can splash doesn't mean you should, but then there is this sort of snowball effect of like, well, I'm already doing this. And so I think I have the opportunity to include this card as well. And I think the creature lands fall into that a little bit where you're like, well, maybe I wouldn't necessarily put this creature land in, but I'm already splashing something else. So I might as well throw this in or vice versa, you know? Yeah, that checks out for sure. Then we have a bunch of treasure makers and I kind of want to split this up into maybe we'll chat about the commons and then the higher rarity stuff that the three at, at uncommon. So we've got flick a coin, the deal one, make a treasure, draw a card. We've got Grabby Giant, which has impressed, I think. I owe that card an apology. I was playing on stream the other day and I was like, Grabby Giant's bad. Like, don't care about it at all. And chat was like, no, it's pretty good. And I was like, no, I was arguing with them and I was wrong. I, I've seen it a lot more. It just does enough to be worth a card. And the fact that like it threatens to take over the late game is, is yes. pretty important. Yeah, I, I agree. So Grabby Giant is the four mana four three reach. You pay two in a red to sack a lander, an artifact to draw a card, and its adventures one in a red make a treasure. 
And then there's Red Cap Thief, which is the two in a red, two, three ETB Mega Treasure. This, I think, is the highly medium of those three, personally. But uh, but I like Grabby Giant and Flick a Coin quite a bit. Well, except the thing about Red Cap Thief is I, I started being a little higher on it once I put it in the Voracious Vermin Sweet Tooth Witch category of cards uh-huh. in my head where like you get the treasure and maybe you're using that splash, maybe not. But in decks that care about bargain, like Red Cap Thief's a fine include. Yeah, and again, maybe fair. that falls under the medium descriptor, but I guess I, I headed it bad and I'm probably at medium on it now or something. Yeah, I think the reason I get tripped up with Red Cap Thief in terms of like my evaluation of it is that it's a three mana two three, and I like don't want that in my aggro decks. But I think there is a space for red to exist with that isn't hyper aggressive where it really takes advantage of the thief. Right, which is where Thief and Grabby Giant, I think, both shine. Yeah, for sure. So then we move on to the uncommons, where we've got what I think are like bad slash niche <laughs> cards. Several of them are labeled bad. I'm gonna push back on that. So we can both agree that Corvald and the Noble Thief is bad. That's the four mana red saga. First two chapters makes a treasure. And then the last chapter, you exile the top three cards of your opponent's library and you can cast them this turn. Yeah, cards unplayable. Okay, discerning financier. This is the land tax creature, the three mana, two, three. You know, if they have more lands than you, you get a treasure and then you can give your opponent a treasure to draw a card. You like this card now? I do. I didn't initially. I was also pretty low on it with you after being very high on it to start playing with it, coming down, realizing it wasn't that good. But if you value collector's vault pretty highly, like discerning financier starts to look a lot better because you can pump out your own treasures. And then pay three to get like you aren't reliant on your opponent uh-huh. for the powerful ability of the card. But then you also get to sometimes mize the powerful ability of the card. And the times you do like the times financier is on, it's a good card. And then you also have ways to turn it on yourself with collector's vault. So I do think there is a place with collector's vault where you're happy to play discerning financier. Well, I mean, let's talk about collector's vaults. This is a two mana <laughs> artifact. Pay two, tap, draw a card, discard a card, and make a treasure. I wrote meme slash niche. Honestly, how dare you? <laughs> and and I, I would assume prior to this format that this was your I've been kidnapped tweet. Like, who, who are you? What have you done with Ethan? I mean, as I said, I've started to, I feel the pressure of that card from the other side of the battlefield. I have not included it in a deck yet myself. Can you speak to the power of Collector's Vault? I can. So it does everything you want. I mean, discerning financier aside, just as a card, it helps you splash off color adventures. It's over the course of a long game going to make sure you draw more spells than your opponent. And also these decks that are splashing a lot, this is the most important function of the card. The decks that are splashing a lot tend to suffer from having some air because there's cost to splashing, right? So you have to load up on prof prisms or maybe whatever. You have more mana sources than you might like to enable all your splashes. And Collector's Vault, once you stick it to the battlefield, lets you churn through that air and find your business and also make sure you have the treasures to cast your business. And once you start doing it, like the first one's kind of costly, but after that, it really only costs one to loot if you need it to, which is also quite good. I'm, I, the card, I think, I would just argue in controlling decks collector's vault is a good card you have to make sure you surround it with things that help you not die but if you do that i think it is a powerful card i buy all that i buy it for sure all right i'm gonna look out for it some more and then rounding out the fixing we've, we've alluded to the the two green spells um that search for a basic brave the wilds the single green and then return from the wilds the three mana find a land and then you can also get a one one or a food and then we've got three ways so not only do we have the lands we have some green fixing, like always. We have a handful of treasure makers, largely in red, um, 
that let you f- splash around. But we also have three ways to filter mana. The, the two best, we've got Root Rider Fawn, another green fixer. Um, this is the one in a green 1-3. Um, it taps for a green mana, and you can also pay one and tap it uh, to have it filter any color of mana. Root Rider Fawn's good. It's interesting to me that you like, I think we've done role reversal on yeah, that card, yeah. too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm down on Root Rider Fawn. I mean, I think it's a good card, mm-hmm. but I am lower on it, for example, than Prophetic Prism, because yes. I value I value the colorless aspect of Prism. And I think the green decks that rely on Root Rider Fawn for fixing often don't always necessarily want acceleration. And if that's your card not replacing itself for fixing, I do think you can be prone to flooding out. Like some of the green decks that really want to go deep on colors are very prone to like, I don't really want to run like 20 mana sources, but I kind of right. have to to enable all my splashes. And I think Root Rider, I've caught myself in that spot a couple of times with Root Rider Fawn. Not to say that the card is bad. Card is good. I just have come down on it a smidge for that reason. I much prefer it as like a, it's a redundant thing or like I've got a couple fawns plus something else because what I'm really trying to do is not impact my main mana base, right? So like the more that I have these cards that I don't have to put basics in to splash, um, I really like it. So I, I'm not, I, I shouldn't make it sound like I'm anti-prophetic prism. I like prophetic prism just fine, but I'm not like excited by it in packs. And a card that I am really unexcited by is Scarecrow Guide. I think that's, we can agree that that is a bad way. <laughs> that is a sign that something has gone wrong. Yes, I've been in that spot before and I'm not proud. Yeah. But with Root Rider Fawn, this is, I think, something where else we're going to talk about in the episode, but you're not cutting lands for Root Rider Fawns, right? Like it's so no. tough to cut lands for that card. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about like what our considerations are for land count and all that um, as we get deeper into the episode. So let's take a quick ad break and then we'll be back with considerations for fixing. How's sleep going for you these days, Ethan? I don't know, man. It just doesn't feel like the card holds up anymore. Two blue blue at sorcery speed to <laughs> tap all their creatures. I just No, 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 no. I'm talking about actual sleep, not a card reprinted four years ago. I mean, it's been better. Life with Jonah is great, but quality sleep is definitely something that has never been more precious to me as a new parent. Well, if falling asleep easily and waking up feeling rested is something you need help with, let me tell you about the Hatch Restore 2. This innovative all-in-one dream machine is a sophisticated sound machine, light, and alarm clock beautifully designed for your bedside table. Good rest allows you to be the best version of yourself, which is why the Hatch Restore 2 was engineered to help you form healthy sleep habits. The Hatch Restore can teach your body when it's time to sleep and when it's time to rise with light and sound cues, much less jarring than hearing Jonah on the baby monitor. With Hatch, you'll sleep deeply with a variety of white noise or other nature-inspired sleep sounds. Ethan knows that I need my seven hours of sleep before we record, and the Hatch Restore helps ensure I get just that. Like a good draft deck, great sleep can't be forced, but the Hatch Restore is here to help. Right now, Hatch is offering our listeners $20 off your purchase of a Hatch Restore and free shipping at hatch.co slash lol. Sleep deeply and wake gently with the Restore. Go to hatch.co slash lol to get $20 off and free shipping. That's hatch.co slash lol. And now, back to the show. Okay, so the reason I broke up the ways to fix into those categories, not by like colorless and green and red, but rather by what they do is because I think what they are, what they do is more important in terms of like how we're approaching splashing and fixing and, and all that stuff for deck building, right? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. 
So lands, right? So Evolving Wilds, Edgewall in for sure, at top of the heap, Edgewall in. Then Evolving Wilds, the Duels, Grotto sometimes. They have the lowest cost in terms of putting them in your deck because they don't take up a spell slot. Now, the difference, the, again, the reason that Edgewall in is very flexible in the moment and Evolving Wilds is different is because Evolving Wilds, unlike, you know, when we have common duels or gates in the Ravnica block sets or whatever, Evolving Wilds means if I'm going to splash, I have to put a basic in, right? So I'm red-black and I got to put a planes in so that I can have Evolving Wilds plus planes plus prophetic prism for my three sources for this, you know, white splash I want. Right. And we should, I think, just probably state that straight up if we're trying to help people with mana bases here. If you're splashing one card, single pipped, the rule of thumb is you need three sources, three ways to find that color of mana for that Mm -hmm. card. Once you get to two cards, you want four sources, like four ways to search up basically maybe two evolving wilds, a planes Mm -hmm. and a prophetic prism, whatever. Once you get into three cards, like you're pushing just being a three color deck, but like five sources is kind of acceptable. Mm-hmm. Any more than that, and you are full on three colors, You're full on three and, colors. and wanting like eight sources because that's essentially a main color and and double pipped cards. You you can't splash like you need to get to at least six, seven sources, pr- preferably seven for a double pipped card on the splash. Yeah, for sure. And how are you thinking about treasures as we move into that category? Like, what are your thoughts about relying on treasures for your splashes as you're building your mana base for your deck? I prefer not to because I think they're that devalues the treasures in some way because sometimes <laughs> you need them to ramp or sometimes you need to cast your four drop when you missed your land drop or whatever. And then all of a sudden your deck gets worse. I, I like them mostly for... Uh, just mising off-color adventures rather than actual factual cards. You know, maybe you're splashing the Ingenious Prodigy, the blue X01 Skulk gets X plus almost one counters when ETBs, and then you can remove a counter to draw a card. I mean, that's good enough that you probably would use treasure to splash it, but then you're you're in the spot where I describe where like you really want to save your treasures for that card. So you just have to understand that they're earmarked specifically for that card. And I don't love that feeling with my treasures. I totally agree. I think ideally you're not pinched on them because you don't want to be in a spot where like you can't use that treasure because you're you know worried about the one in 27 (laughs) time where you top deck the card that you want to splash so you can't use the treasure to ramp or to bargain something or to draw a card with grabby giant right like you still want to be in that spot. So I agree. You want them for one-off splashes, and ideally they're incidental like the off-color adventures. The search for basics, as we've talked about, that fixing has an impact on your mana base. And you have to consider this versus ways to filter mana. And I think even thinking about the the filters like Root Rider, Fawn, and Prism, like Prism is going to be left alone, right? It's going to, it replaces itself and that's on the battlefield. And it's going to be left alone. Like, are you going to be in a spot where your root rider fawn, you know, your opponent attacks you with a two, one or a two, two or whatever. A two, two is even better. Cause it's sort of like a free attack for your opponent. Cause they can say, Hey, I've got a trick. And are you so worried about risking the root rider fawn that you can't engage with it in combat until it's, you know, helped you splash or whatever. That's a similar, I think similar enough spot as the treasures that like you don't want to put yourself in those positions like you want your splashes i think to be more incidental with fawn yeah just more flexible you don't you want you want your splashes to constrict you as little as possible ideally so this sort of i I think that the idea of you know 
Brave the Wilds and Return from the Wilds less so, but Brave the Wilds for sure, like as a way to fix your mana. I mean, Brave the Wilds is just sort of like, I feel like it's a mindset, you know, of like, okay, <laughs> it's a way of life. It's a way of life. It's just like, all right, I have to have, I don't know, often at the minimum eight green sources, but ideally like nine or 10. And I want them to be untapped green sources, right? Because not only do I want to ensure that I can cast Brave the Wilds on turn one, if it's in my opener, but I also don't want to, and I may be jumping the gun here a little bit to a point we'll have later. But one of the things I think about when I'm building these like base green multicolor decks is I really don't want to have to use my evolving wilds to find a green source. It's pretty disastrous because like, and I know you, you still think about it. You include it as like, all right, this is one of my green sources, but I ideally the, the green sources are the thing you can rely on. And then you're often in these four or five color soup decks, you're really going, all right, this one wild or these two evolving wilds are really dedicated to searching up, you know, this mountain and this plains. And if you have to to pinch that to find your base color, it really reduces the efficacy of those cards down the road. Well, that's one of the reasons I'm so high on prophetic prism and collector's vault. And and again, like just to be <laughs> clear about the format, if you're putting prophetic prisms and collector's vaults in your deck, you need to include a lot of cards to help you not die to aggro. You have to build your deck in a way that you're planning to not lose to aggro because those are significant costs when that's your turn to play against a you know a red white celebrate curve out deck. But assuming you pay those costs, like all of the green decks, there are really um, like for Brave the Wilds and Root Rider Fawn, your mana base gets tight because you do have to get to nine green sources. Like I think green's a little better at splashing one color than it is almost going five color because the prophetic prisms and the collector's vaults take care of the five color thing for you without requiring a certain setup of your mana base. Whereas the green cards that fix your mana base starts with nine forests and then you have those (laughs) the rest of the slots to try to figure everything else out with. Yeah, for sure. All right. So Let's dive into some types of decks that need fixing, because I think there, again, I was kind of just alluding to this. There's two types of decks, I think, that want to fix. There's green decks that want to fix, and there's non-green decks that want to fix, and those are mm-hmm. pretty different animals. So you've got non-green decks that want to splash off-color adventures. That's where we shouted out Crystal Grotto. It's a great place if you're a streamlined two-color deck to splash an off-color adventure there. Cannot say enough good things about Prophetic Prism and (laughs) Collector's Vault in the non-green decks that want to splash cards or even go deeper into three, four-color. I was actually really hyped to talk about like the four or five-color deck. We got scooped by LR. I was not (laughs) expecting that. They they beat us (laughs) to the punch. LSV talked about about the decks I've been drafting for 20 or 30 minutes in LR. So I'm not going to rehash all that. But I will say in the draft, there's a difference between having the Prophetic Prisms and the Collector's Vaults early versus like praying that you get past them. And I think mm. almost almost a way to go about drafting is, you know, much like you would other things, clocking if they wheel. Like if you see a prophetic prism in the first few packs of pack one and it doesn't wheel, you might want to steer away from this because somebody else is doing it. And it's not, it's not good enough that you want to be competing with someone else for the deck. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And then the green decks, if you're splashing off color adventures, again, you you shouted out Root Rider Fawn, Brave the Wilds. Those those are, I think, costs in some senses. The Root Rider Fawn, especially Brave the Wilds, less solo. But you've got to be careful to not flood. Like the, the green decks, especially if it's just for off-color adventures, you don't, I think, want to artificially bump your source count up 
just to be able to mine some off-color adventures. When you really want, and I, this I think should go without saying, but I will say it, you really want those off-color adventures to be worth a card effect, like Threadbind Click, the three and a blue, three, three flyer with the adventure, rip the seams, two and a white, destroy target tapped creature. Like, a re- like that's a real removal spell and a real evasive threat. I'm sure they're both like a little overcosted, whatever, but... I think like that's the kind of thing it's you're not trying to splash. I don't know. I can't think of it, but you know, just very incidental low cost things that don't feel like they're worth impacting your mana for. Well, and I also think too, there's a difference between being able to cast which side of the card, right? So let's say you're like red green and you're thinking, well, I'll splash a frolicking familiar. That's not really the way to go about splashing the adventure cards. Like you don't want to say, okay, I can cast blow off steam and then I'll try to mize frolicking familiar because it's a disaster if you can't cast the 2-2 flyer there because blow off steam is not worth a magic card. When we say off color adventures, it's like the card matches up with your color and you're getting a card's worth of value regardless of whether or not you end up casting the half that is off color that's living in exile. It's a great, great example. Yeah. So splashing cards slash off color ventures of one color bordering on three color decks. So this is anywhere ranging from just splashing a single card, right? Or a single adventure to I've done this a few times, like full on teamer or full on Esper. It's where you're really, really just en- easy to end up in full on Abzan. I think that's the place it's easiest to end up a three color whatever, because all those cards play well together and then you yes. get the green to fix and it's so easy to say well i've got the green why not like, uh-huh. <laughs> at least that's what i've experienced yeah for sure we should also chat quickly about because we you know we're we talking about green doing all these this great stuff and you know you can just go on full full on abzan whatever full three colors which you really need to do with caution if you're truly a three color deck but you don't want to be in a spot where you're playing green for fixing right you don't want to be like Okay, I'm a, I'm an Abzan deck, and all of my green cards are just Brave the Wilds, Root Rider Fawns, <laughs> Return from the Wilds, and I've got one Hamlet Glut. It's like, you should probably just be black-white, because like all of your green cards are splashing. That's it. I feel seen. Sorry, bud. <laughs> but so once you get in these decks that are like casting actual cards, that's where I start to like Brave the Wilds, Evolving Wilds way better. That's where you're more willing to start to impact your mana base and construct in a certain way when you've got like bomb level cards or premium removal level cards to try to splash versus, you know, just splashing the off color adventures there. I think the the Crystal Grottoes, the Edgewall Inns, maybe an Evolving Wilds plus one basic or something is good enough for those off color adventures. Makes sense. And then also, I think, again, this is what LSV was shouting out at the end of LR, where you're a base one or two color deck that's just playing five colors. And again, like these, these are the decks where Prof Prism and Collector's Vault shine because you can be like nine, eight, like your nine, eight blue, white with two prophetic prisms and a Collector's Vault. And then you can splash single pipped cards like pretty freely once you get to those three sources. And it's, it's not hard to be the only person in the pod that wants prophetic prisms in my experience, because so many people have the mentality right now of it's an aggro format. You got to get on board. It's a cabs format. You know, they were talking about that in, in LR. I think a lot of people have that mentality. So if you see all that stuff coming around, that's a deck to be on the lookout for. And again, LSV outlined that greatly on LR, so won't go into depth here. But those are the two most important cards you can have for that archetype is prophetic prism and collector's vault and have them locked up. As someone, and I imagine our listeners are in this camp as well, as someone who hasn't really played in the multicolor space outside of, like the times that I have, it's the classic, like very heavy green, doing the Brave the Wilds, Return from the Wilds, Root Rider Fawn thing, and then splish splash a little bit with basics. 
When I'm not doing that, or when you're not doing that, do you have a sense of what the best two color base or the most common two color base is? Like what cards you feel like are good in that sense of of the not dying of it all? I would think that that white maybe with that uh, the deal three to an attacking creature that that white does a nice job of of having some defensive speed. I wonder if there are, if there are other colors or cards that you feel like are important to those decks when you're not green. It's funny. You can tell what decks we've been playing by what cards we know the names of. Like that's Kellen's Kellen's Light Blades. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That card a lot. Yeah, being able to reliably pick that up late is excellent. Red is also great because you get towards the tower. I mean, really, it doesn't matter. It's whatever colors you get cheap removal in. But for me, it's more about like what I was talking about in the previous two episodes, where the format to me is more about spaces. Like which space Mm -hmm. do I want to play in? Like. I've liked Jeskai, like Jeskai Control or Grixis Control or, but it's just wherever you get the incentive to go and what spaces your good cards incentivize you to play in. Like if you're getting the Threadbind clicks plus some Torch the Towers, you're incentivized to go Jeskai. But if you're getting some Threadbind clicks plus Candy Grapples, you're incentivized to go Esper. Like it's just wherever, wherever the good cards you see push you. And that's the beauty of Prof Prism and Collector's Vault is they let you get pushed wherever because they're they're so flexible and have you ever had the situation where you get the prisms slash collector's vault early and you set yourself up for the soup deck and you don't get the goods or is this format just too chock full of good cards for you to miss out on the goods that's my feeling i mean there's certain levels of decks but there's so many good uncommons that it's hard to just get blanked because so many of the decks are designed to be streamlined too that people are more willing to say i'm red white celebrator i'm red black rats and pass a goose mother because they're just not their car i think the format is designed well in that way and that there's like opportunity cost to playing aggro in some senses and that you're there are a lot of good rares that you're maybe going to be passing or good on commons as well yeah i buy it so the one the one thing I want to pose to you, because I think this has been the biggest difference in our multicolor shenanigans, is that I, I haven't done it with green much, or when I have done it with green, that's not fair to say. I've done it with green a fair amount also, probably 50-50, but I've felt less good about doing it when I've been green than when I've been colorless with the Prof Prisms and the Collector's Vaults. Are, are green decks incentivized to splash that much? Because I have been, I think my green decks have largely been irresponsible <laughs> when I've been doing it. And I've honestly, like Brave the Wilds, I've been super impressed as that in red green beatdown, just as like a hasty three three, yeah, like, as opposed to like actually splashing with it, you know. Yeah, and I think like I mean, my best green decks have been black green food, and and it, shout out to you way back when when I, you were like, I think black green is food, and it's very streamlined. I think my best black green decks are streamlined food decks that like could splash, but don't like. If, and maybe I am playing Return from the Wilds because it gives me a food and ramps me to glutton or something you know but i don't actually want to even though i could splash a third color so i think i agree with you that the best green decks probably don't want to splash but that is in line with my philosophy of the format is just that the best decks don't want to splash i think yeah i think that's probably true certainly right now and probably in best of it probably will always be that in best of one because people are letting the good aggro cards slip by too late i think in more competitive pods yeah i, I would push back against that assumption but i think in the, in the best of one life yeah i think that's true all right one more ad break and then we'll be back with the rest of the episode this podcast is sponsored by better help 
Do you ever find that just as you're trying to fall asleep, your brain suddenly won't stop talking? Do your thoughts start racing right before bed or at other inopportune moments? As a content creator or any kind of freelancer, it's really easy to never have an off switch. There's always 15 more minutes of editing or a collaboration to reach out about or a project to finalize or the next big idea. It's great when those thoughts are positive, but it's just as easy for them to do a 180 and then you're feeling overwhelmed, stressed, and under the pressure of the next big deadline. Turns out one great way to get rid of racing thoughts is to talk through them. Therapy can be a great opportunity to pay two mana to cycle away those negative thoughts and find some mental and emotional peace. If you're thinking of starting therapy, get BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get a break from your thoughts with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Lords today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Lords. And now back to the show. So let's talk about reasons. We talked about all the, the ways to fix, all the, the decks that want to fix. What are the reasons to want fixing or to splash? And I think the biggest one is powerful bombs. The goose mama. The goose mother herself. And I think just worth shouting out as we've talked about mana bases before. Uh, Ben's alluded to LR did this earlier this week as well. So like, you know, there's a lot of content out there, but just to really hammer home to put it, you know, in writing here or in podcasting i guess <laughs> put put it on apple put it Company on that's gonna last forever there we go um is that splashing is a cost right limited mana bases for two color decks are bad right having a nine eight split or a ten seven split whatever we've all mulliganed when we have like four white cards and three mountains in our opener right so limited mana bases are just not great in general and then you add to that this impact of even just one basic we talk about i mean i just never ever truly never want to run two off color basics of my main two colors unless i'm you know dipping into that full hey i'm just fully embracing teamer and i'm really like six five five two wilds and edge wall in whatever but like you really don't want to be impacting your main colors that much with the lands because of the cost, right? You draw the card you're trying to splash and you don't draw the way to cast it. That's a mulligan. You draw the off-color land and you need your second color of your base two colors to cast your most of your other spells. You don't do that. That's a cost. That's a mulligan. So you're really trying to avoid those games. And that's why the cards that you're splashing and the way you're constructing your deck has to make up for those times where that's going to happen. Well, and I think it has to do with power level, right? Like, yes. So the better the bomb, the more you're willing to stretch your mana base, because when it works out, you're presumably going to win the game when you cast that card. So Correct. Like, maybe with a goose mother, you're willing to run two off color basics. But I, I agree with you. I'm, I'm trying to avoid that situation like the plague. And that's when we alluded the off color adventures. That's more like the crystal grotto, the treasure, or the one prophetic prism to mise your off color adventures, because when it doesn't happen, it doesn't matter. Like you still right. had a card that you could cast. So I think what you're trying to conceptualize for yourself is the power level of the card you're splashing versus the cost to your deck's mana base and trying to marry those in a way that you are happy with. And I think the other place that people get themselves in trouble with bombs is like when you cast the cards matter, right? Some bombs, yes. are, some bombs are great because they come down on turn three, like Lord Skitter, the two black three, three that makes one ones. That card's excellent. And I would probably splash it, but it's going to be way less powerful as a splash than it is in a black deck where you can reliably cast it on turn three every game. So just making sure you're aware of that, too, that the timing of your splash cards is likely to be delayed. And 
change their power level in your brain as a result accordingly if that needs to happen. I totally agree. I'm glad you shouted that out. So next reason to want to splash is stuff that is filling holes in your deck, right? This comes up especially in sealed a lot. We just had the arena open on day one. Some pools don't have removal in their main colors and you really need removal in sealed. So that's when you're like dipping into a third color to fill holes. Ideally, that shouldn't be happening to you in draft too much. Yes, I agree, right? So I think the days of like splashing for removal or card draw or engine, I think in draft that's not happening that much. I want to shout out again, not only are there certain bombs that are are better splashes than others or that are are better cards when they're in your main colors than than not. Same goes for removal. Like, do you want to splash torch the tower? Like I'm talking about as like is that your singular red card you're splashing, right? Are you also happy to play Torch the Tower on turn seven? I think you're, I mean, you're, Ben is nodding his head aggressively, <laughs> sort of sheepishly so, but I have a comparison of like Torch the Tower, which is single red deal two or three if it's bargained, and Witch Stalker Frenzy, which is the three and a red deal five to a creature and the cost is reduced for every creature that attacked that turn. Like for my money, Witch Stalker Frenzy is a better splash because by the time you assemble splash source plus splashed card, Frenzy is still going to be very impactful, whereas Torch the Tower less so. I agree with everything you're saying there, but I do think Torch the Tower is good, specifically in the decks I'm shouting out with Prof Prism and Collector's Vault, because your whole goal is to not die to aggro. And a lot of times you end up with five or six sources of colors you maybe even only have one basic of. And the the choking point oftentimes for the decks is mana. And Torch the Tower is so efficient that like even if you're not doing it till five, it helps you stabilize against the aggressive start still, I think. And we've alluded to this a little bit, like there's the Oops All Good Cards deck, which sort of has has a lot of this stuff, right? It's got the good removal from multiple colors. You're splashing Torch, you're splashing Candy Grapple. You've got a bunch of off-color adventures. Maybe you've got some bombs that aren't in your main color. Maybe you're splashing double-pipped bombs. Who knows? But this is like the most complicated deck to build because it requires you to take fixing highly enough, right? And enough fixing that you don't have to mulligan more than usual because mulligan is going to be detrimental to you. You have to have a functional base two color or base one color deck. And you also, you've talked about this already a little bit, but like you also don't want to have a lot of air because oftentimes your source, the amount of sources you need, the amount of cards that make mana and even prophetic prism is sort of, it's that would go in the air category, right? It's yes. cheap, but it doesn't do anything. But le- but less so in the air than something like Root Rider Fawn. Like not to yes. keep not to keep harping on this, but because Prof Prism replaces itself, you're not like down a card. Whereas if Root Rider Fawn, like if your opponent's beating you down with four fours, like Root Rider Fawn's looking pretty embarrassing in that spot late in the game as a top deck or something. Yeah. So that's the kind of deck where you need to be thinking about all of those like recipe pieces of defensive speed, removal card draw so you make up for all of the sources you have because you can have whatever 19 20 21 ways to make mana in these like oops all good cards decks these sort of classic four or five color control decks that it's just it's just a lot of moving pieces in the draft and in deck building yeah all right let's move on to some reasons you might want to play something other than 17 lands because i think the green decks especially frequently do want to play something other than 17 lands so starting point is you want to play at least eight sources for your primary color and these green decks that are fixing bump it up to nine. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've gotten this question on stream, even in the little you've been streaming because I've been inundated with it. Does your first brave the wilds replace a land? Yes. 
Yes, I agree. Except you are <laughs> like criticizing my arena open yeah. deck today. I, there was a Brave the Wilds in my sideboard. You're like, sir, please. That's yeah. free real estate. The one thing I will say, uh, if you're pushing lower than 17 lands or or maybe going higher for whatever reason, I think one of your goals, if you're playing a- any deck in this format, should be to stumble as little as possible Mm because there's such a huge cost to stumbling against the aggro decks and that that brave the wilds being a tap land can be the difference between you know winning and losing i think when you're when you're facing aggro but i do agree in general the first brave the wild should straight up replace a land well and the other thing that i will say is be careful about bargaining this card like just because you can bargain (laughs) does not mean you should (laughs) like it's not free to turn your land into a three three because it can really then get torched or grappled and now you've been stone rained, which can be an absolutely punishing move, you know, in those middle turns of the game. If your opponent's now all of a sudden a land or two lands ahead of you because of what you chose to do with Brave the Wild. So even though it's replacing a land in, in my head in deck building, certainly the first copy, I'm not, you know, auto bargaining it during the games. And I think with the second copy, I'm much less willing to replace a basic. Like I, I, my sweet spot for Brave the Wilds is like two Brave the Wilds, 16 lands mm-hmm. in a controlling style deck because those decks often want to to never miss land drops as well. Yeah, I'm trying to think with, I think 15 is the lowest lands I've played in this format. You know, thinking about Lord of the Rings, I definitely went, was down to 14. Maybe I did 13 at one point with like, you know, a five or four many partings deck. But, you know, we see those single green search up a land effects. And for me, the first one always replaces a land. And then beyond that, it definitely gets a little trickier. And the reason these are specifically the ones that replace lands is because they cost one mana. It's way different when the effect costs two mana, certainly much different when the effect costs three mana, like Return from the Wilds. Like, I'm certainly thinking about that in terms of how much I'm flooding, but it's not like I go, oh, I have a Return from the Wilds, I'm cutting a land. Right, that's where there's tension in the green decks. We also missed a fixing card that just popped in my head. We didn't shout out Utopia Sprawl. That's one of the the premium ways to ramp and fix. I have gone 14 lands in a deck that had like Double Brave the Wilds, Utopia Sprawl, and like a Root Rider Fawn or Return from the Wild yeah. or something like that. So I have pushed it a little lower in green decks because if you're not careful, that source count can get way too high. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really or just good like point. not sources that you can never really have too many sources of a color, like the actual number of cards that make land like you, you want to try yeah, to make keep that near. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to keep that a little lower. How do cheap cantrips affect your land count? We don't really have them. I guess we have sleight of hand in this format, but that's not like a super playable card. Um, but like birthday escape in Lord of the Rings, like did that affect your land count at all? If you have cheap cantrips, does that make you reduce lands? I would say generally no. In in best of one, I'm more likely to go to 16 when I have cantrips, I think just as a general thing. But in mm-hmm. best of three, I, I really like hitting land drops. I, I think generally no is the answer to that for me if I'm playing best of three magic. The more power level creep exists in uh, design, right? The more these sets feel so synergistic so powerful it just feels like cube like you don't want to miss land drops in cube ever missing land drops is just a surefire way the more playable one drops are like the more playable these cheap cards get the more important it is for you to never miss land drops because you know you can just get steamrolled so easily yeah completely Um, do you consider card draw or card filtering as any kind of fixing or like 
a fraction of a source for your splash? Are you like, is divination fixing? Divination's fixing. I'm a firm, firm believer that divination is fixing if you build your deck right. But I mean, no, this is the real okay. answer to that. Like, okay. I'm not like, I'm sure I want card draw in my decks that are splashing, but it's not changing my mana base calculations at all. Or if it is, something went wrong. <laughs> <laughs> we've, t- we've talked about how necessary casting cards on curve affects the number of sources slash affects your consideration for putting those cards in your deck. Like how important it is to drop the, is, is the card powerful because it comes down on turn two or turn three, or is it powerful no matter what the state of the game is? How does card draw or card filtering affect your land count? Because I will say for myself, the more like card draw and certainly card filtering I have, the more lands I want. Because I feel like the only way I lose is if I miss land drops. Once I hit my land drops, these cards will help me in terms of pitching excess lands or, you know, I want to hit my land drops on time so I can cast into the Fey Court and draw three more cards. And yeah, whatever. If those two cards, if two of those three cards are lands, it's a bummer. But like, I'd rather have lands than not. Yeah, stonks for sure. The more the more <laughs> card draw, the more card filtering, the more you want lands. And, and we don't, it's not like we have a ton of these, but certainly we've got a lot of rectangles, you know, food and there's there's activated abilities associated with food. Mana sinks affect your land count, right? So you can certainly have, you know, decks where the curve stops at four, but you know, you've got you've got these hopeful vigils and the hopeless nightmares. And those are things you can pump three mana into to scry to affect the draws and, you know, help you to make sure that you're not going to hit lands late in the game, whatever, like more places you have to put mana, the more you want to hit your land drops, you know? Yeah, I think in general, uh, the art of draft, uh, which is kind of like uh, on hiatus right now is an excellent podcast with him and Lola, two other Twitch streamers. And they did an excellent episode on you're just wanting to run more lands in your deck and why you should be looking for reasons to up your land count, I think generally rather than take them away. Just because stumbling is so punishing, especially in this format. All right. Well, talk to me, Mr. Prophetic Prism, Mr. Collector's Vault. How are you getting into these kinds of decks? So I think the key, I've shouted out their praises, said them multiple times this episode, but Prophetic Prism and Collector's Vaults, taking those highly or just taking them out of weak packs early. Once you've got three of those, you really can do whatever you want. So usually I'm the way it happens for me is... I'm on the the delay the decision mentality, the option not where you're, well, actually it works either way because sometimes when you get deep into one color and you get these colorless fixtures, then you're one color splashing from the other three or four colors or whatever, but even a two color deck and then you're splashing whatever once you have Prop Prism and Collector's Vault. So either way you're trying to stay open, whether it's get deep in one color or just take all the best cards you see plus fixing, that's how you get into the deck. But just to give a a very specific example here um, from a draft, pack one, pick one, Talion's Messenger, I think, is a, a clear best card in the pack. Two and a blue, one, three flyer. When you attack with one or more fairies, you draw a card, discard a card. And when you discard a card, you put a plus one, plus one counter on target fairy you control. The card is excellent. Pick two, largely a stinker of a pack here. I mean, like, there's other options of cards. So to shout things out, there's Quick Study. If you wanted to stay blue, two and a blue, instant, draw two cards. Kellen's Light Blades, one and a white, instant. You can bargain it. Deal three damage target attacking or blocking creature. If it's bargain, destroy that creature instead. Wheeling Kellen's Lightblades is a, a huge part of these types of archetypes. Yeah, I bet. Others, Splashy Spellcaster, again, is another blue card. Three blue, two, four. When you cast an instant or sorcery, you make a sorcerer roll attached up to one other target creature you control. 
There's an Emberth veteran, like a fine card. If you're on the red aggro life, red 2-1, you pay one, sack it, create a young hero roll token attached to another target creature. And then Collector's Vault, two mana artifact, two tap, draw a card, then discard a card. Do you hear that? Change my voice. I'm so excited about this card. <laughs> I love Collector's Vault. And then... <laughs> <laughs> Hello there. Um, but yeah, Collector's Vault is excellent. And I think early on in the format, wouldn't have been on my radar at all. Like I probably would have taken... I don't know, a quick study or a Kellen's light blades or something. But I think this is the type of spot where you can take collector's vault and then like assume you're going to wheel a Kellen's light blades or a quick study or a moment of valor, the, the destroy a creature power four or greater. And collector's vault really opens up tons of options for you. And the next pack, pack one, pick three, there's a pack with torch the tower, red instant deal two to target creature planeswalker. If you bargain, it deals three and you scry one instead. Far and away the best card in the pack. So you snap that up, but you clock prophetic prism also in the pack here and then prophetic prism does end up wheeling out of our opening pack and out of that pack one pick three pack pick 11 and then you're off to the races like you've got a collector's vault two prophetic prisms now this is like an ideal start obviously like magical christmas land almost for the deck but that gives you a a picture of how to get into the deck and i mean that we'll have a link to this uh where you download the episode but this deck is it's blue white i mean it's splashing all three other colors right? it's got green black and red but it's mana base is pure baby it's islands and plains and the red white uh creature land at rare but that's it the rest of the fixing is coming from triple prophetic prism and double collector's vault which is a beautiful thing a beautiful thing. And once you have one Prophetic Prism, the deck's online. And once you have one Collector's Vault, you can pitch the other Collector's Vaults. You can pitch future Prophetic Prisms. Like the, the mana base really was a dream for the deck. So I think that's going to segue us a little bit into, we're going to attempt to talk about these various situations of splash considerations, not going through the whole decks. If you want to follow along at home, like I said, we'll have links to the decks we're talking about. You can even see the draft logs. But I just want to talk about sort of situations we've come across where it's like, okay, how am I going to splash? And I'm thinking about my mana base and what's worth splashing and why. So the first one that I've got here is a red green deck. It's red green, I would say beats, right? It got got the cut-ins. It's got the sort of ideal curve we're talking about of like cheap stuff into pushing damage. And during the draft, I had two copies of Gingerbread Hunter. This is the five mana five, five when ETBs make a food and the Adventure half is puny snack, two and a black. Creature gets minus two, minus two until end of turn. Really excellent. But then later in the draft, I got Ben's favorite card. Imidane's Recruiter, two and a red, two, two. When it ETBs, creatures you control get plus one, plus oh, and gain haste until end of turn. And then it has the uh, Adventure four and a white, make two, two, two white knight creature tokens with vigilance. And my ways to fix were an Evolving Wilds and a Return from the Wild. So it's going to have to play a basic if I wanted to splash either of these adventures. Now, you could make the case of like, look, Recruiter's just fine on its own. Gingerbread Hunter's just fine on its own. You don't need to splash. But I, I felt like Recruiter especially, I think, is is really powerful to splash. And I also think you could make the case for, well, you've got the fixing for both, right? You could just run a Plains and a Swamp, play the Gingerbread Hunters, play the Imidane's Recruiters, and and have the opportunity to splash both the adventures if you can. I think the two off-color basics in that situation is too impactful in a negative sense for my overall success rate with the deck. Yeah, and this goes to like almost like a, a philosophy thing about what you want to do in draft or, or what you picture your deck working out as, right? You describe this as a red-green beatdown deck. And generally, the more aggressive your deck is, the less you want to splash because the more you need to cast your cards on time to try to end the game quicker. Like 
Splashing generally means you want the game to go longer. So it seems like you made the decision here that you wanted the games to be shorter, less cost to your mana base. And so you chose to splash only Imidane's Recruiter, often involving Wilds in a Plains, and to leave the Gingerbread Hunters on the sideline. Question I have for you is, were you not interested in five mana five, five make a food? I think I wasn't. I mean, I was just a little worried about the the, the height of my curve here um, and what I was going to cut in its stead. Um, but I certainly could have played it not to get into the weeds about like what uh, we, we wanted to run instead of it. Like you could have cut the red tooth genealogists. This draft was a little wonky. I ended up having to play two territorial witch stalkers the two mana two three defender but if you have a thing with power four or greater it gets plus one so until end of turn which is perhaps an argument for playing the hunters as more ways to enable that to attack right that's well that's what i was getting at also too i think if you mentally make this it sounds like you were on the mindset of beatdown deck which was why you made the decisions you made i also think mm-hmm. there's a world where you switch to i am gonna stretch my mana base a little bit and play mm-hmm. these gingerbread hunters and also play a swamp I've mm-hmm. got this return from the wilds. Like if I if I hit the swamp, great. The gingerbread hunters are going to be gr- excellent, truly excellent. But if not, mm-hmm. I can still play them as five drops and play a little bit more mid rangey of a game plan too. So almost with some of these splash considerations, you're going to have to make deck plan decisions as well, like while you're deciding about what to splash and how to build your mana base and and all of those things. There's very much a ripple effect. Like once yes. you make one decision, it starts to affect all of the others. So like what I was talking about at the start of the episode of that idea of like, well, because I'm already splashing blue for Goose Mother, I can also jam in another blue card here, right? There's a world where if I had more fixing, I think that was really the choke point for me. If I have more fixing in this deck, not only can I play the Hunters, but like I might splash more white. Like I might play return triumphant. I've got a lot of banger three drops in this deck. I'd love to be able to pay two mana to get it back and put a young hero roll token on it, you know? Like, I think there's a lot more things I could have done, but the the scarcity of my fixing made me rein that in a little bit. I agree. Like, if you get a single prof prism, I think all of a sudden those gingerbread hunters are in. Or if yes. you have a, a single brave the wilds, like you can probably run one mm-hmm. less mountain, one more forest, maybe two less mountains, one more forest, and, and throw a swamp in there. So yeah, there, there's different considerations along the way for sure. Mm-hmm. All right, so next we've got one of my decks here. This is a blue-red deck, straight blue-red, that has off-color adventures of two different colors. So there's a Picnic Ruiner, the one red, two, two, mm. uh, that has the three green adventure to give three plus one plus one counters distributed as you choose. And there's also a Threadbind Click, the four mana three, three flyer that has the white adventure to destroy target tap creature. This is a, a place where also have some treasure makers, like all, kind of illustrating all of the things we we shouted out. So there's not a ton of treasure. In fact, only one way to make treasure, but every little bit helps, right, with these off-color adventures. So there's a red cap thief. And I think the fact that there are these off-color adventures is the reason to include mm-hmm. the red cap thief, right? Otherwise, you're probably not running into the deck. So the mana base is all islands and mountains. And then again, we're trying to impact the mana base as little as possible. This is where I love Crystal Grotto. So there's one Crystal Grotto here. There's an edge wall in. Again, we shouted that out as a, a great way that's free. It could be a blue, red, or if I have Threadbind click in hand, I'll choose white. If I have Picnic Ruiner hand, my mana's going okay, I'll choose green. And then I chose, I had two Evolving Wilds also, chose to leave two Evolving Wilds on the side because I didn't want to have to run off-color basics for just off-color adventures. But you better believe if I'd seen some bomb rare... I would have been throwing in some basics and those evolving wilds to splash. So that goes back to the power level of what you're trying to splash and how much you want to impact your mana base there. And do you not play evolving wilds in a two color deck, sir? Uh, Sometimes. (laughs) 
<laughs> Sometimes I'm really worried about stumbling in this format. Yeah. Already, already had a tap land in Edgewall in. Sure. So I felt like my mana base was largely fine. And I think in this format, I, I'm less inclined to just jam an Evolving Wilds in a two color deck because the tap land can be so brutal against aggro. Hmm. But yeah, I, I general, general, that's funny that you fired that off at me because generally I am of the mindset of, yeah, yeah, I'll toss an Evolving Wilds in my two color decks. If I have a lot of one drops, that's when I feel bad about the tap lands. Otherwise, I feel okay. But so I am often playing at least I would play only one, though. It's so it feels like I'm a little I'm, I'm still cautious in the way that you are of like, I don't really want to run so many tap lands in my decks because of stumbling, but I'd probably play the one here. But yeah, it's a great example of of the two adventures to splash here. And do you agree? No off color basic, oh, even, even yeah. if you're running Evolving Wilds? Yes, for sure. It's okay. just so impactful. Like, I mean, when we should talk about like, why? Why is Crystal Grotto? such a cost like we've we've sort of talked about it's actually pretty good in you know these sort of situations the reason it's such a cost is it's just auto stumbling for you right it's making all of your spells of any color cost one more and so that's why the the splashy aspect of this has to be so contained like the scry one really makes up for some but not all of the drawback that this card has all right we've got another deck here of mine that's a, a similar situation but kind of the opposite scenario due to power level so this is a base white green deck that's very powerful here and rather than two off-color adventures has two off-color bombs that we're interested in splashing there's a fawn's bane troll two black green for the four four and makes a monster roll attached to it and then you can sack a roll to fight something and there's also my format staple the goose mama uh, in the deck as well. The Your top leather. drafted common, you said? <laughs> it's getting close. I have to be up to double digits <laughs> copies of this card already. Wow. <laughs> um, and the mana base is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight forests and a restless cottage. That's the black green uh, tapped dual man land. And so that's nine total green sources, eight untapped for two brave the wilds. Yeah. That let me search up a single swamp and a single island. So I've got four black sources with the, the restless cottage, the swamp and the two brave, the wilds plus a return also, from the wilds. Also a return yeah. from the wilds here. I didn't even see that. Yeah. And so this is kind of what I've been talking about in these green decks too, where there's a lot of sources, right? So I have 16 lands two brave, the wilds and return from the wilds. That's 19, 19 cards that are dedicated to making mana. That's probably more than you would want, except this deck does also have the bangers. I think to back it up, like it can handle flooding a little bit. Well, and it's got got places to put mana as well. With the you've got two tough cookies where you can animate food. So you've got the the Yenner Red Tooth Regent. That's the green white rare that that copies auras. You've got things you can do with the mana. And the nice thing about the thing about Brave the Wilds that that we haven't quite shouted out is that even though it does like lend you towards flooding, a lot of the times when you are sort of quote unquote flooding, bargaining it later does then turn it into a real thing, right? You get to turn a food into a 3-3 three, three or something. For sure. And and worth noting here, I did choose to leave Crystal Grotto on the sideline opposite of the other deck because mm-hmm. I don't want to add one to my Goose Mama. I don't want to add one to my Fawn's Bane Troll and all the other cards in my deck. I, I've got the sources I need just from To Brave the Wilds and the Return from the Wilds and, and the rest basics. Right. So Crystal Grotto is not a card that it's not just free as we're talking about. And it's not a card that you're you're like, well, I'm already splashing, so I might as well include it. You're actually hoping to not play it, I would say. Like the last deck we looked at was an example where it's like, this is the this basically lets me double splash these incidental cards. And that's really where I think we, we're, we're coming down to of like the two camps are, are the splashes incidental? Like if I can do them, great. If not, no biggie. 
or do I really need to be able to cast these cards? And like Goose Mother and Fawn's Main Troll for sure. Like she's like, I absolutely want to be able to cast these cards. I want to be able to cast them consistently whenever possible. And Grotto, I'm hoping to not include in those situations. Right. Well, but it's easy to say, but Grotto helps you cast those and all your cards. But the cost of adding one to everything, if your mana base doesn't work out for that particular draw, is just mm. too steep to pay even for, for bomb rares like those. Totally agree. All right, we're going to take a look at one more of my decks here. I think to illustrate the the danger of green decks running so many sources. So this deck did very well, 7-0'd, but I think could have potentially been prone to flooding out, and that just didn't end up happening to it in the games. So let's talk sources before, like total numbers of things that make mana before we, we deal sources. Yeah, what, are your, or, what are your spells in the deck that help you fix? Yeah, so there's, there's 15 lands, one of which is an Evolving Wilds to search up basics. There's Brave the Wild, so kind of 16 mana. Utopia Sprawl, kind of 17 mana. Double Root Rider Fawn, pushing up to like kind of 19 mana. I kind of count Root yeah. Rider Fawns as, as lands that way, sort of when I'm dealing with like, does my deck have too much air? Yes. And then also a Return from the Wild. So that's 20 cards that make mana. That is, I think, more than you would like, but I had to do it because of how deep I went on the mana base. So this deck has four colors. I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight forests plus an evolving wilds to get me to that nine green source place where we kind of feel comfortable that we're going to have green for turn one, brave the wilds or turn one utopia sprawl. Mm -hmm. So both of those there and both of those count as a source of every color, right? So I have three swamps, two mountains and an island. And this is where there's that choking point. Also, if you're green, you don't have room for so many basics of other colors when you're running the Brave the Wilds and Utopia Sprawl and Return from the Wilds. Like you got to have green sources, but you need to have the basics to search up too. So splashes are a goose mother. Splashes are the whole deck, baby. You can't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like This is just a we'll full on. Well, like, yes. We'll be here a while. Like this is really just a Jund deck splashing Goose Mother. Like it's base green, but you have two drops that are red. You have two drops that are black. Like you are just fully Jund with a Goose Mother, but your fixing works out because you slanted yourself, even though it's not representative in terms of the spells you have in the deck, you have slanted yourself towards green in the lands because of what green allows you to do for the rest of your deck, right? You need green early so you can have access to Brave, to Sprawl, to the two Root Rider Fawns, because that unlocks the rest of your deck's capabilities. For sure, yes. I completely agree with everything that you're saying here. And I think looking at the mana base with only three swamps, only two mountains, it's tempting to say, well, your mana base is terrible. But no, my mana base is actually excellent. Yeah. To the point where I have so many sources of each, like that's why my number of cards that like are mana, like those 20 cards is so high, even though I only have 15 lands, because I need to get the source count up to be able to reliably cast my black and red cards because I have to run nine forests. So there is there is a cost to, you know, having to get those nine forests in there. But this deck did very well at seven owed. But again, could have been prone to flooding, I think. So just to be, be aware of when you're running those green decks. Adventures really help not flooding. Like just having the two spells tacked onto one card is really powerful. For sure. Any other parting thoughts before we go here? Best of luck to you and in your uh, in your in your day two draft to run. Oh man, if I get I hope well, whatever. Man, who cares? It's fun. I like the I really look forward to these competitive events. I actually think they do these, uh, you know, they brought these the 64 person 
pods to MTGO for Vintage Cube. They now exist for Woe. I saw, like, yeah. I kind of want to do one. Like Ooh. the like the state. I don't know. The 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 high stakes drafting is uh it's kind of kind of getting me. It really is. I finally identified why the arena opens are so stressful for me <laughs> because I was feeling miserable about them there for a while. And I, again, I was up till 5 a.m. last night after we got home from Marching Man super late like a madman trying to qualify. It's because my Sundays are generally free. So I really want to play in day two. Mm-hmm. But my Saturdays are often not free because of band things. So like, I know I really want to try hard to qualify, but I'm under such a time crunch often that it ends up being pretty stressful. And I hadn't quite thought about why I wanted to do it so much, but it's what you were talking about. Like high stakes drafting is so good. But you have to get the queue on Saturday to be able to do the thing on Sunday. And I'm always free on the Sundays. <laughs> and I thought we were going to get draft on day one. I, I did thought, too. I oh, thought we were going to get draft. Sealed is so terrible. I know. It's, it's, it's really atrocious. It really like is. logistically for Grand Prix, I get it. Like you can't run that many drafts. There's zero reason that we don't have Especially day they, one and day two. Because they, they, they do the it for cube. Like yeah, we can do it. the ability to do it. Yes. Can we please just get rid of sealed? Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure all voices will get to Wizards of Magic and make oh, I'm make sure. change. I'm sure. <laughs> all right, great place to wrap us up. Thank you as always to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thank you so much to CoolStuffInc.com for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over there for any and all purchases, you got to get that booster box into your closet for a time to draft down the road. Any and all purchases, please use code LOL at checkout to let them know we sent you there and to get 5% off your purchases. You can find all of our content on our website at lordsoflimited.com. We got our tier list. We got our merch. We got our episodes. We got links to our Twitch pages and our YouTube channel where you can find video versions of the episode. You'll also find uh, recaps of my two drafts from the Arena Open this weekend. Um, So we'll get additional content up on that YouTube channel. All that good stuff over at lordsoflimited.com. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.